0: This is episode 261 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. now a word from our sponsor, Control & Compound.
1: Infinite banking in under 60 seconds. We've all got to save our money somewhere, and we think that a high cash value life insurance policy is the perfect place to save it. Why? We're going to save our money inside this policy, and it's going to grow tax-free. Down the road, we're going to get hit with an emergency or an opportunity, maybe a chance to buy a business, real estate property, an income-producing asset. And instead of withdrawing from our savings account, we're going to leverage that asset. We're going to borrow the insurance company's money, and we're going to invest in that opportunity. Our money is still inside of that policy, compounding, uninterrupted, tax-free, and our money's outside in this investment opportunity. We're going to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, all while providing a death benefit for our families. Down the road, we're going to retire. Now we retire with a high cash value life insurance policy with a lot of cash. We're going to start taking those policy loans again, but this time we're never going to pay them back. When I say never, I mean we're going to pay them back with the death benefit when we die, and our families are going to get left with the rest completely tax-free.
0: For more information, visit www.controllingcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have David Atwell back on from a couple of years ago. He appeared on the show with Mark Ganot, his business partner, and they were talking about investing in hotels in Quebec. So Quebec City, Montreal. Uh, it was a really interesting story and um, the value add play they have there is, is just absolutely awesome. So uh, I always love diving into it with uh, David. I see him quite a bit here at the office because he does some business with uh, Jacob Campanera, who uh, I host REI Hot Seat with. So I see him around. We talk business quite often. And today we just dove into it, uh, got into his story, how he got into all this, the leap of faith that it took uh, to go from being a multifamily investor in Ontario to a hotel investor in uh, Quebec City and Montreal, where he was doing uh, value add plays in a hotel automation. So just automating these hotels so you don't need a concierge, you don't need uh, somebody there to greet you. Um, really cool business model. Um, David really uh, dots his eyes, crosses his T's and I think you're going to enjoy this one. So uh, grab your pencil and paper if you uh, like to take notes because this one is, uh, is a doozy for that. So um, and just before we get into it, I want to remind you that if some of the terminology we use is new to you, I highly recommend going right back to the first 10 episodes of this show uh, where we lay a lot of foundation for that stuff. And then you can come right back up to modern episodes and that uh, that should be the cure if some of this stuff is, uh, is not resonating. Uh, and without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into episode 261. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I got David Atwell on uh, you've been on before it's been a while yeah I just had you on about REI hot four C. weeks i think well that was rea hot seat yeah. this is uh this is different um so uh, today we we got you on for the long form we're going to go into uh what you've been doing how you got into real estate in general because uh, there's going to be people who haven't seen the last episode you were on with mark and O. yeah this was quite a while ago at this point yeah, probably a couple years, of years i think yeah yeah so given that people um a lot of people won't be familiar. Let's let's start with high level.
2: Like, what's your background? What got you into real estate? Yeah, so, you know, I've always loved real estate. I grew up in the town of Aurora. There's beautiful houses around there. And I always just wanted to have a beautiful house. I think that Mm -hmm. was the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in school, one of my best subjects was finance or just math classes. And I Mm -hmm. would love running financial analysis. And as soon as I learned how to underwrite a real estate deal, I just wanted to do it all the time. Right? And, And so that's one of my favorite things about real estate is just running a good analysis on a deal and that's really how it all started i'd say yeah okay so what was what did you take in school i studied business business okay. specifically marketing all right what school is it georgian college up there georgian college yeah. okay and that's actually it. my first uh, purchase was a student rental in student rental. yeah you still have it no i sold it i bought it for 275 in 2011 yeah, and I sold it like five years later to shift into multifamily I mean the reason I sold it is because the equity was stuck right like banks yeah don't, don't love financing they don't love those right so you need an angle with those yeah and yeah. that's when I started learning about CMHC yeah. financing it's like okay I'll get rid of the student yeah. rentals and, and get into multifamily okay so um
0: got into the analysis and then like you've you've done some bigger stuff and yeah. Like getting into like you've done hospitality units, mm-hmm. you guys have bought like big buildings and turned them into automated hotels, essentially. Yeah. Um
2: how did how did you go from the student rental to yeah. that? I mean, that was a natural progression because you know, when I had my first two properties, there were student rentals, I bought a condo, mm-hmm. and then I quickly learned that there's a dead end in financing. Yeah. Right. And you can only qualify for whatever your line 150 or your line mm-hmm. 101 will will allow. That's when I switched into multifamily. This was about 2016, 2017, and the market was already getting really hot and, and really yeah. difficult to find good deals at that point. And so what I had done was I booked a flight, I think it was about 2018, February 2018, I booked a flight out to Montreal to look at their multifamily inventory. Because mm-hmm. Montreal has fantastic purpose-built multifamily, lots of five plexes, lots of six plexes, just great multifamily options, higher cap rates, et cetera. So I flew out there and met with mm-hmm. some agents, looked at some properties, but it was the last day when I was checking out of my hotel, when I realized the hotel itself was what was most interesting to me, because mm-hmm. it was this beautiful Airbnb style hotel right in the plateau, right by Park La Fontaine. And I chose it out of probably a hundred different options on Expedia. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering like, how did, how did this win my business? Like how are they able to s- provide such great prices on such a good product and good location? It's because it's self check-in. It's Airbnb style. They don't have any staff there. Yeah,
0: no staff, no no uh butler taking your uh, exactly. what do you call it? the guy that yeah, takes your valet or whatever, valet, yeah. like none of
2: that stuff. It's yeah. basically just a small Airbnb style building. You get codes and get through the door. And so that was what really caught my interest about going out to Montreal. And so I came back to Toronto. I spoke with my investors, chatted with Mark about it. I'm like, guys, this is what we should be doing. Like, this is something that's really cool. You know, uh, looking at cap rates at the time, we were like four and a half in Toronto. Yeah. You just, the income's not there, right? So now we're starting to think, okay, let's pivot and start looking at this asset.
0: Yeah. If you like, just on that note, four and a half at the time, interest rates were probably in the twos. So you had a roughly 2% spread, which... That was that kind of allowed for almost like break-even cash flow at yeah. the time. So, yeah. all right, just wanted to throw that in there. Okay, Mark is your business partner, has yep. been for quite some time. Yeah. Was when did you graduate? Like, what were you doing? Like for an active income in there? Were you entrepreneurial the whole time? Like, what was? What was yeah, the story? to a
2: certain extent. I mean, when I graduated from college, I was actually a beekeeper. That was something I found really interesting. Beekeeper? Yeah. Oh man, I worked at the Barry Golf and Country Club, and there was a beekeeper on the golf course there. So I would go help him after work. Yeah. And I loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing. And I really wanted to get into agriculture. So yeah. I started a small beekeeping operation when I was like 23 after I graduated. And that was my priority. Um, but I needed to make some money. This was right at the at the end of the global recession in 2009. There weren't great jobs in marketing, which is what I thought I wanted to do. So I got into the movie business. A friend was just like, hey, you, know, you can make a few hundred bucks a day. You're serving, serving food on film sets. It's called the craft truck. You got to join IATSE local 411, get your food handlers, and then you can be making 1500 bucks a week in like next month. And I said, perfect, because I graduated in January and the beekeeping season starts in April or May. I need to scrounge up like six grand to get my hives going, right? So that's how I got into the movie business. And then what ended up happening was I'd be selling honey on sets and people found that quite interesting. They're like, "What why is there this honey here?" Right? And they're like, "It's the new guy. There's a beekeeper here." Yeah. <laughs> so, I quickly became known as like the beekeeping guy, the honey guy. Yeah. And that that led to good opportunities in in the movie business just with other jobs and and not serving food on set. And, um, but film, you know, it's a pretty good job. You make good money. And so,
0: so you're just serving like actors for and about and stuff. a year.
2: Yeah. On film sets, you know, you're, you're serving food to the camera guys, the actors, the cast and crew. Did you meet some uh, famous people. Yeah. There? In fact, Sigourney Weaver bought a jar of honey for me <laughs> and I have a picture of that, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I met lots That's of, a lot of cool, famous people. Right. And then. I only did that for about a year because you work like 14, 16 hour days. Like it's really hard work. Yeah. And it can be from like 9 a.m. to like 3 a.m. the next day. Like you're you're working long, long hours. Um, and then but what I was doing is I was saving all my money, right? So I st- I moved back home after college, lived in my mom's basement, which was not fun, you know, in the town mm-hmm. of Aurora, uh, for a couple of years. But while doing that, I was able to save up thirty two thousand five hundred dollars to buy my first house, which was that yeah. the student rental and Student Bailey, rental yeah, right. And so with that working in film being a beekeeper selling honey and having real estate people started reaching out to me eventually to invest with me. And that's why I called the company Honey Tree because real investing in real estate is like growing a money tree. You have to plant the seeds, you have to take care of that tree. Mm-hmm. But if you nurture it over time, it will yeah. create ongoing cash. And
0: how were these people that found you? So you bought the student rental, like who Who were the people reaching out to you
2: wanting to invest? These are my colleagues. My, my first investors were my bosses in the movie business. So people who worked within the movie business knew what you were doing at that time?
0: Yeah. Like you right. stayed in touch with them, but you, weren't you doing the movies before you did that? No, well,
2: no, this is all overlap.
0: Overlap. Like, okay. Real estate was so, my
2: side hustle for like seven years, I'd say. So
0: you just got talking, oh yeah, I invest in real estate.
2: And that's yeah. how it happens. Yeah, that is like, how it happens. what did you buy this weekend? You know, it's like, oh, you're not going to yeah. student rental, this, that, or whatever, right? People loved, like that was the day. People loved talking about it. Oh, for I feel sure. like they don't like it as much. Oh yeah. It's the casual conversations. It's changed. Well, so many people yeah. got burned, right? Yeah, it's, you don't really
0: <laughs> hear like, oh, we were thinking about buying our first rental
2: i still hear it
0: just yeah. not like i used to it, yeah. it, it was like more like the unsuspecting it'd be like at at a family dinner somebody might talk about it
2: exactly yeah it's definitely d- it's slowed down a,
0: quite a, a bit. A little now. bit yeah yeah, yeah. And maybe it'll have its renaissance i, I mean eventually it will but yeah we're in the we're in the thick of it we are absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so that's interesting i that that's how you got your name I, I always wondered about that i'm like why honey tree yeah <laughs>
2: it's just going back to the bees Okay so so this was like what 2013 2014 you were starting to bring in partners uh, no, it was actually a bit later. It was about 2016. Sorry, okay. Yeah, I bought my 1st your student rental flex. was bought when? 2011. 2011, okay. So I bought 2011, I bought my first one. The second was 2013. And then I bought my yeah. condo 2015. And again, that was all just re-leveraging equity, like just increasing that yeah. value, pulling the money out and buying it again. Sort of like a burr, but you didn't really just time it. I didn't have it. to do time anything. Did it, it was yeah. just passive, right? Yeah. That Le- same 30, leverage leapfrog. Exactly. Yeah. That same $32,500, like I used it over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, kept pulling it out. Yeah, and, and just keep and rolling it probably, forward, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So then you got into Maltese by 2016, you said? Yeah. And then at that point, is that when Honey Tree started? Or that was even before yeah, that? Yeah,
2: it was about 2016, 2017. It was yeah. like, okay, so uh, this is my first joint venture. I brought in about $800,000 with investors, including some of my, my own money. And it's like, okay, this is going to be my, my side hustle. Because film was never the dream. It turned into a great job, but I'm not a film guy at all. Right. Yeah. So, and I, I've always wanted to be in real yeah. estate. And so that was the time to shift. And it's like, well, what do we call the company? Or what do I call yeah. the company? And, and it just made the most sense. I was known for being the beekeeping guy and the money guy. Because mm-hmm. I ended up working as an accountant in the movie business for about like eight years. Accountant? Yeah, after the craft truck. After so after you did food, you were an accountant. Yeah. So I got into the construction department and then it was basically like glorified bookkeeping, if I'm honest. Yeah. I set up really <laughs> cool tracking systems using Microsoft Excel, automating like the bookkeeping and accounting process and creating some pretty impressive reports. Because like when you like yeah. the biggest film I worked on was Pixels. It was about a six million dollar construction budget. And mm-hmm. money's moving fast. Like you have a hundred crew members working at least hundred and fifty crew members. You know you're purchase ordering mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. The producers need to know where that money has gone. And so it'd be my job to collect all the purchase mm-hmm. orders and money being spent and create a detailed, accurate report that then the construction wow. coordinator can make decisions based on, same with the art director yeah. and same with the producers.
0: So, and did you find like, I guess you, you kind of nerd out on spreadsheets. Oh, and I models. love it. Yeah. yeah. That's your thing, right? Yeah. Excel. Is, I used to love doing that. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Once I got too busy with other things though, it's like kind of became tedious, but yeah, it is fun. Building a nice spreadsheet's fun.
2: For sure. I mean, when yeah. I was young, my grandma actually of all people taught me how to compound interest it was my mom and my grandma. Yeah. So they would show me, it's like, okay, if you save a thousand dollars a year and you invest it at 8%, this is what it turns into. Mm. Well, as soon as you learn how to compound interest on Excel, it's, it's so tempting to make like, okay, what if what if I get twenty percent a year? Yeah, what if? <laughs> and what if I have hundred grand a year and somehow I'm a billionaire by the time I'm fifty? Yeah, right. So, I mean, and then I started looking at it. It's like, okay, well, where do you get twenty percent? And then yeah. you know, learning how to analyze real estate. It's like, well, you can find twenty percent returns. Yeah, it's a little bit harder today, but
0: you you still can. Yeah, it's, it's actually like, think like there's Private lending, <laughs> yeah, make that yeah, right? absolutely. There yeah. are, I mean, depending on the type of scenario you want to get into, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it definitely can happen. The active side of things, I feel like you definitely can do it, but then you know it's active. It does, it's not the same as as a passive investment. That's so, right. So we're in that kind of weird space where passive investing still hasn't made the sense it used to. Yeah, um, but we'll get there. I think.
2: We're pretty close. <laughs> We're getting, yeah.
0: It's, it's coming
2: around. It depends on the asset, I guess.
0: Right. Yeah. It, it, I think the biggest and best thing like people could do still is, you know, you, you, you find your area that you like and you find a way to get good at acquiring stuff yeah. at a great deal. Absolutely. However, that might be, yeah. Could be with a re- realtor, could be without, um, so you had uh talked to me about something you were eyeing up we were gonna yeah. we were gonna talk about a potential acquisition yeah that you're looking at so l- let's just give high level sort of what you do now so we got the story about what what you did and then eventually in there you got your real estate license yep and stopped working as a bookkeeper slash accountant yep um and now you're just full-time on your yep. sort of real estate operation correct yep which is sort of overseeing the assets, your asset management at this point.
2: Asset management, acquisitions, yeah. And then working with investors, bringing capital in.
0: Okay, so those are the three things you're doing, and how are you getting paid and all that? Are you just cash flow off the properties? So equity? I
2: have a fairly significant amount of capital invested in my own deals, yeah. And those deals can generate upwards of six percent cash on cash. So yeah. even that coming in alone is Helps. enough. It, yeah, yeah, it's enough to pay the bills to keep the lights on. Yeah. But then on top of that, you know, I earn income as a realtor on acquisitions, okay, um, and then management fees as well for managing the portfolio. And yeah, the, the, the asset
0: management fee built into all, yeah. all that. Yeah. Okay. And out of your portfolio now, like you guys have the REIT, which we're going to talk about. So have you moved some things over? Uh, How does that work? Like what's your investor structure? Like are you, is it just you and Mark in or do you guys have other equity partners in on these deals?
2: Yeah, so right now we're in the process of rolling deals into the REIT Mm because specifically the first hotel we bought is at completion. We're actually about to get the final uh, appraisal, which we're really looking forward to as a proof Mm -hmm. of concept. Those will be rolled into the REIT. Um, Right now we're structured each Property is a as a project level limited partnership. So we bring in the people and the capital required for that mm. one deal and that one deal only.
0: And you sell sort of units in that one deal.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I do sometimes like clustering groups of properties together, specifically hotels, because while you're renovating one, the other two can be operating mm-hmm. and then you kind of just go around in a circle and, you know, mm-hmm. hotel one's finished, you go to hotel two and there's the income to support it. Yeah. Which is part of the reason why we launched the REIT was so that uh, we could have this beautiful portfolio of great real estate. And then as yeah. we acquire stuff, well, yeah, it's contributing to that. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're saying you just finished though your your first hotel? Yeah, so you have a handful, I know, right?
2: Yeah. So the when as you say com-
0: finished, it like that you've finished the complete transition into uh, an automated hotel.
2: So the as complete appraisals about so to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's right. It fit, so switching over to the digital concierge, we didn't even fully renovate the f- the first one. We just painted it, redecorated. and We only added five kitchens out of twenty three units. Yeah, And just doing that switch created enough value add on the NOI, which is about to be proven by the appraisal to create a significant lift.
0: So so we'll we'll just back this up. So you bought a 23-unit multifamily.
2: No, no, it's a hotel. It was a
0: hotel already? Yeah. Okay, so it was already a hotel. You didn't have to change much, just some paint. And yep. then you automated some systems. So door openings yep. for check-ins. Um, Even just the payment processing. Payment processing. Administration. And what, what was the time frame on that? Because you guys were on two years ago. I think we were probably talking about this. Yes, yeah, so
2: we closed on it April, 2021. So okay. we're coming up on the third year anniversary on it. Uh, and COVID, like Quebec was still locked down at that point. So we mm. didn't have any income for like the first three months. So you couldn't rent a room. We couldn't do anything, right? So that's yeah. when we're painting and redecorating. It was a bit of a gamble because like we're racing against the clock on interest with an unknown outcome with the pandemic, right? Like we didn't know when Quebec would open its doors again. And then so what happened was July 2021, Quebec had allowed tourism to happen for about three months and then they shut everything down again for like mm-hmm. another nine months. Yeah, And we did so well from July to like September, and then it was just shut down again, right? So, so you knew you had something. We knew we had yeah. something, yeah, but it was hard to stabilize the income and show yeah. an appraisal with two-year stabilized income. That's true. right? That was the biggest the biggest hurdle of, of proving the concept, right? Okay,
0: so uh, you guys had had it ready the whole time. It was already automated. So really yeah. this was your complete is two years of provable income. Yeah. So that you can refinance. That's, That's right. the complete. So construct yeah. it was already operational. Now, so you were with your initial financing and your equity. Yep. Now is the goal with those to get your investors' money back? Absolutely. So so part of your refi will be take out the existing mortgage, whatever it is, private or yep. Semi-private, plus the investors' money back as much as you can get,
2: yeah, or all of it if you can. I don't think we're going to get quite all of it because the rates have gone up quite a bit. Yeah, it will be at least fifty. Yeah, ideally, I mean, hopefully, sixty-five to seventy-five percent of the equity. Yeah, but either way, though, that the cash on cash at that point is going to it goes crazy. It goes crazy because based on the initial investment, they already got half of it. I'm sure
0: you've run that number with the cash on cash. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Based on the equity that's remaining in the deal, it's quite significant, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, things get crazy once you can refi and pull your money out. As we've no know, know with the burrs that we've covered on this show, like if, if you pull all your initial money back out. Your your return's infinite. There's nothing is, to do yeah. a return on.
2: My only criticism to that is with multifamily specifically, like when you do a burn, and you pull all your money out, especially with MLI, you're only operating at a one point one debt service ratio. Yeah, it's very tight. It's very tight. You're walking on a tight yeah. rope, and if you're not operating perfectly, you will have negative cash flow. Yeah. And it is nice to have a building that has no none of your money into it. Yeah. But if it's not creating cash flow, no, no, like, it needs to cash flow. It, what's it needs to the cash point, flow. Right. Yeah. So
0: and, and, and the other th- other problem with that is you're not valuing, if you're, if you're figuring you're infinite, you're not valuing your time and effort into the deal because that's yeah. massive. And a lot yeah. of people don't pay themselves out of their projects, right?
2: Exactly. And if yeah. your cash flow at the end of the year is only 0.5% on what you initially invested, that's not mm-hmm. very interesting.
0: Yeah. Even it's, if it is infinite. Because you got to think bigger. Like, I mean, as I've gotten older, like, I, I want to see how it fits with the bigger picture. Like, mm-hmm. how, how will this effort be scalable. Like if I make this effort, can I do it over and over again? At what point will I, you know, achieve, you know, X goal? And, exactly. And I think not enough people think about that. And the longer you do real estate investing, the more you do think about that stuff. Exactly. Like, do I really want to put my time into this? Yeah. Because otherwise yeah.
2: You're, you're relying on a lot of speculation too. Yeah, right? and, For sure. and that's your outcome. I mean, okay, generally speaking, real estate always goes up in value, but you should want to have some mm-hmm. sort of passive income coming out of that. I, in
0: it, in the long run, it does, but not in the short run. Like it could be ten years down. It's very possible.
2: Exactly. Hope, yeah.
0: hope not. But um, so if that is the case, then if you didn't have cash flow and you're underwater, man, that's that's a bad trifecta. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Depreciating, underwater, and no cash flow. <laughs> Don't want to be there. Uh, okay, so. You're looking at another one. So you've got four ho- hotels right now?
2: Yeah. Three Montreal, one Quebec City.
0: Okay. And out of those, one will be at the refi stage now. Correct.
2: What's the financing looking like for that? Did you find a lender that's interested institutionally? Yeah. So we, we're having that conversation now. Mm-hmm. It is institutional. I'm not going to say who it is yet. Okay. Um, but they're speculating 65 loan to value. Okay. 7% interest approximately. Okay. Limited at a one point four debt coverage ratio.
0: Oh, they really want to see it. Yeah. But you guys must be crushing. Like yeah. When, like when things are firing on all cylinders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we'll yeah. run we'll run through, through some numbers just to kind of get an idea what that looks like. But yeah, we'll
2: have no yeah. problem servicing that one point four. Yeah. And uh, and
0: still getting your sixty five percent.
2: Yeah, that's right. And still being able to pay a, a good cash flow, a good cash on cash.
0: At which point. So your investors are going to be happy. Their their cash and cash is obviously going up. Their actual cash is probably going up too, uh, because it'll be cheaper. Or will it be cheaper? Because you're obviously going to be your total loan amount is going to be going up quite a bit. Yeah, but your interest rate is probably going down. It is. Yeah, yeah. like
2: five five percent.
0: Yeah. So even with the amortization, is there still like a lower overall total debt service?
2: yeah generally speak uh actually it's pretty close pretty close okay so yeah. so
0: really it'll just be that their cash on cash is improving they're not going to get their that cash much on more cash, cash flow and, but
2: there's actually mortgage pay down happening each month
0: mortgage pay down that's huge yeah we switched over to that on our camp yeah it makes and a it's massive like, difference we're paying roughly the same except now six thousand dollars a month in mortgage
2: exactly is going down and you probably yeah. got a good chunk of, of your initial investment back or you fully exited all private capital we weren't that lucky <laughs> we still have <laughs> a lot of money reappraise <laughs> it every year right and get that yeah. two year uh stabilized. Well, the
0: big thing is like we don't have our financials from this year yet but like we our sales are up 75 percent. that's enormous so it's gonna it's gonna make a difference
2: yeah and then yeah. you just resubmit
0: that back to the bank so yeah we'll have we're having a conversation actually today Nice. <laughs> Wait a minute. That should be on my calendar somewhere. Uh-oh. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that appointments today I'm just going
2: to take the call live. Yeah, I might share with all our listeners. Um,
0: that's actually important. Um, okay. So yeah, I got to look up when that appointment is, but, uh, yeah, so there's, there's an opportunity, right. To have that discussion each year. Hey, look where yeah. we're at. Okay. Can we, can we improve this? So let's talk about the one you're looking at. What, what are you looking at? What, how many units is it? and yeah. uh, let's get into some estimated numbers
2: okay let's dive into that so i'm not going to disclose what the address is but uh if anybody knows the property they're going to be able to figure out which one it is so it is located in downtown montreal it's in the mm-hmm. same area of our existing hotel so that's going to be a big clue mm-hmm. the asking price was all the way up to 5.8 million okay but it's not worth anywhere near that it's it's going to come in at about 5 million as the purchase price and it has 39 rooms plus one commercial. Okay. Now nice. the rooms are a bit smaller, on average they're about 180 square feet. Okay. Our existing stuff's usually about 250 on average, so they are gotcha. quite a, quite a bit smaller. What do you think um like is that going to affect
0: your income significantly?
2: It will, yeah. but the existing revenue on it and I'll show you some pictures afterwards and perhaps we can share some of the the, the rooms with the audience, but When you see it, it's like horribly marketed. The rooms are terrible. It's just like a really rough looking hotel. And it's like, why on earth would you want to stay there? So you guys would basically paint it, make it look
0: nice, stage it better. It's such a
2: quick upgrade. Stage it better. Yeah. yeah. And then and and we can dive into what that strategy looks like. But the right now the current rev par on the property is sixty dollars. Per unit. So 39 rooms times $60 times 365 days a year. Hang on. So equals 39. <laughs> and so 39 times uh, 60. 60. Times 365. What's 60? Rev par. What is rev par? Revenue per available room. Okay. So the metric is if you take your average daily rate of $100 and it's only 60% occupied, yeah. your revenue per available room. 360 bucks 60 bucks
0: so is that less than your other hotels Way so 60, less, yeah but it's less than half but that's your assumption it could be better than that
2: yeah it's, it's, sorry oh yeah. that's current are you current current oh, okay current. but you guys are going to improve that yeah absolutely
0: okay so right now it does about eight hundred and fifty-four thousand gross yeah that's right yeah so and we'll sub that in here and just put that into my spreadsheet here but um Acquisition-wise, five million. What are you going to have to pay to like buy the furniture, paint the place, get it all in in shape? You said it's going to be quick. Like, yeah, so a this month one, or two.
2: No, it'll probably end up taking a good three to six months because it also depends okay. on when it closes. Because yeah. You don't want to miss the summer season. So yeah. even if you're operating it as is and it's junk, so you got it. You got to do the summer. You got to yeah. do the summer. Yeah. So what I usually when I go into negotiations, I'll say let's close November first because mm-hmm. that's the worst month of the year. That gives the vendor one more kick at the can for good cash flow. Yeah, and then we'll exit afterwards, and then it allows you guys to be ready for summer. Exactly, yeah. and we can get our, our teams together, our crew is ready to exact go. Exact same for our camp. Like the idea, yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. improvements on this one, and I and like I wish I had the photos up. I apologize for that, but it's so simple. We're removing the carpet, putting down fresh flooring, paint, better lighting, and better furniture. Yeah. We will eventually add kitchens into most of the units, but again, that we wanna get that thing up and running. So the,
0: let's focus on the get it up and running budget. Like yeah. what's the budget to do the up and running?
2: Anywhere from 10
0: to 15 grand per, per unit. Yeah, okay. So let's call it 15 on the high side yep. times the 39 units. So that'll be about 600 grand you're gonna
2: spend, Yeah. or just under? That's just to get it up and running. Yeah. So that's gonna be uh click flooring, um, mm-hmm. fresh paint, yeah. New furniture, new linens, good LED lighting or, yeah. or pot lights. And we'll probably change out the fixtures in the bathrooms. So okay. just the toilets. We're not touching the tile yet. We're not doing yeah. the vanities yet, but we'll do the faucets. We'll redo the shower heads Yeah. and just clean it up, generally speaking. Just
0: clean up. Okay. And get it up and running. All right. And if you do all of that, will your rev par still be at the 60?
2: No, <laughs> it'll be much, much higher. So and what do you think it'll be at? It would probably go up at least to, I'd say, 80 even $90 REF PAR. And that's just with the proper refresh and, and marketing. Yeah. And mind you, we still have kitchens to add the to units to bump that up even more. Yeah,
0: so we we're just talking about the initial. Yeah, obviously, that, that's a room to expand it further. But I want to get an idea of what the cash flow looks like after you get it up and running. Yeah. So... Do, how, how would you break down the expenses there? Do you have like an expense ratio like your operating expenses are going to be forty percent or fifty percent?
2: Yeah so generally speaking when you buy a hotel it's coming in at sixty five percent of revenue. yeah the biggest thing here is we're removing that staff and and I've mentioned this previously yeah. um, if you have someone working 24 uh, 7 at yeah. minimum wage, it's about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars per year. yeah so we still have some staff we'll be able to remove that to say call it forty thousand dollars a year. And staffing requirements, yeah. So we've saved $90,000 just from that, yeah, on the 850, so just a little over 10%, yeah, just like that. Um, we can get the ratio all the way down to about uh 55, we'll say, because we still outsource. So your expense ratio will be 55%. That's right,
0: yeah, okay. So simple numbers, we're not going to get into every last granular detail, uh, this episode, but so 55% on 1.28 million, yeah. Um, so about $700,000 in operating expenses, uh, that would include your insurance, your property taxes, yep. um, booking fees, all that stuff will be included did. in there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause the team we work yeah. with also has direct yeah. bookings as well. So we are saving a bit of money. Booking fees are upwards of 18% on yeah. Expedia or booking Airbnb. Really it's crazy. I didn't think we were that much, but I guess we are. We're probably the same, man. I'm, yeah, I'm sure yeah. it would be the same, right? Yeah, I,
0: I knew that Airbnb was like 13 for you and then 3% of the guest, which ultimately just means 16-ish or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think
2: they do it a little bit yeah. different based on the asset class. Like a hotel is yeah. 15 for us. Mm-hmm. or if you, Plus the guest fee? I don't think the guest pays a fee when, when okay. it's a hotel. It's only the hotel oh, pays okay, it. okay. Yeah, that would make
0: sense. Okay, so what do you think it would be worth after you get to that point?
2: So at that point, there is still some value add on it. And so the cap rate's not going to come down too much. So we're generally buying anywhere from like an eight. This product's actually coming in around eight and a half cap, mm-hmm. uh, five million. It would probably still appraise about that. I'd say it would appraise at an eight cap. Well, if it
0: would appraise at an eight cap after what you just described to me, then you'd be closer to like a seven million. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, or maybe even like seven, two. I'm just running
2: these numbers live. Yep. Yeah, 7.2 million-ish. Yeah. And so. we bought it for five, we spent about 15 grand a door, mm-hmm. right? So there's 600,000 yeah. land transfer tax is going to be about 115,000.
0: Yeah, let me put that in here. So, so we've got, uh, all right. So I want to run through uh, just the mortgage portion of this. So say you were to hypothetically refinance it at that point at 65%, what would it look like? So it would be a 25 year end. Yep. You'd have to achieve that 1.4 debt service. Yep. And uh, yeah, I can see that you would. You'd be at 1.46 based on a 25, 7% uh, interest. And that's at an eight cap? Uh, Yeah, 8.01 on this. so Approximately that. Um, Okay, so your net investment here would be, well, you're getting a mortgage back of like Uh, 4.6, but you're... All in, you had land transfer. We need to add that to it. So, what was your land transfer? 115. 115. And there would
2: still be some financing costs involved. So, the private would be about two points on the loan. Two points
0: on the loan, which is how much?
2: Let's 70 grand approximately. Zero two times
0: 70. Oh, 70 grand is the amount that you're going to have. Yeah,
2: two percent of carrying, yeah.
0: Of the three point five million dollar. Yeah. Okay. So seventy thousand, hundred and fifteen thousand, anything else we need to do sort of that initial investment.
2: Yeah. So legals, um, yeah. anywhere twenty-five grand for a GPLP. Yeah. I would even put another twenty five grand for accounting and just variable costs on yeah. closing. Okay. And then uh, of course a cash flow.
0: Negative cash flow for that time as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So you're you're probably losing well, I mean that covers interest or or that seventy thousand was just your point to, uh, points to close yeah so you're you're gonna want to include
2: uh, I'd say probably about a hundred grand, 100 grand just carrying costs that's right yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. so a hundred thousand dollars in an extra carrying cost so. and then
2: a hundred grand just to have in the bank all right
0: well I'm gonna leave that off because that's well it is part of the investment you're right I'll put it in if we want to be accurate about return on investment so you're all in around six million then yep. on the building so what you'll have left in the building is about 1.3. So say hypothetically you went back and you got a mortgage on it at that point. Yep. You still have 1.3 in. Yep. At 1.3 in, what would your return look like? Let's calculate that.
2: So the fun part is there is a bit of a cherry on top. Well, there's more upside still. Yeah, and also there's yeah. a, the retail space.
0: Oh yeah, we didn't even factor income from that, so that'd that's beyond okay. top. Yeah. Of course. So so just looking at um a cash on cash basis here let's see what that looks like yeah you're If you were able to refi at that point, you're like 14% cash on cash, 26% return on investment, factoring a 1% appreciation rate. Yeah. Um, Mortgage is paying down like 85 grand a year. That's nice. Yeah. So that looks pretty tidy as an investment. Of course, there's more to do here. That's a simplified approach. Yeah. You would be going a couple more years, achieving a bit more,
2: getting the rev par up to what? I'd say 100 maximum. 100. The interesting thing is like we have rooms that are 180 square feet that have done $125 rev par, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely enormous. Now that's fully renovated. Mm -hmm. So, uh, brand new bathroom, full kitchen. Yeah. And it's still 180 square feet. I mean, it's like the size of his office. Yeah. And it's hitting 125 rev par.
0: Well, I mean, all you have to do is go to like New York City and see what can be done with a tiny space. You could make, you could sell those rooms for a lot of money. Like, they just, they do such clever uh i there's a word for it it's like considered sustainable living or something like that which i think is nonsense but uh still you know you'll have a desk that can fold up yeah. you'll have a bed that can go up to the ceiling
2: yeah they can and, have a lot of fun with that stuff in
0: their case yeah they have like storage under the bed and yeah and you're somehow sleeping in your bathroom and your bedroom combined yeah that's it. the showers on one side the toilets on the other but it's all <laughs> like glass and you can see through it yeah <laughs> so there's some stuff that's not like that desirable but it all works yeah it's not it works yeah so you could do that. highly I mean, functional this, spaces. This office, you you could make this you into two this hotel rooms.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I don't stay know how Jake
2: would feel about that, but <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: there's a there's an office hack we could do. Yeah. So the the higher like perspective is you're going to get it up to what valuation? You're still going to be an eight cap, but I guess we're going to get the rev par up to to a hundred. So let's see what that would look like. Well,
2: the the cap rate actually does adjust downward once you've maximized the properties. Now yeah. I don't we don't necessarily want it to go too low because we wouldn't be able to hit our cash on cash at that point because at that point you're just leveraging the crap out of your your yeah. asset but from an appraisal point of view it will yeah. come in as low as a 7 yeah when it's fully fully stable as low as a 7 so if we got the rev part to 100 but we we don't underwrite it that low that's no? okay. that's too aggressive so you go to 90 we, we keep it at 8, eight an 8 cap yeah yeah, yeah. okay
0: yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot more we could do here, but I mean, it obviously already looks like a good investment, even if you just stop there, but you don't need to, you can, exactly, keep, you can yeah. keep going.
2: Yeah, and so, like I said, removing that front desk staff is such a big value add, but now what are you left with? Well, that's a space that can be another room, right? So mm-hmm. now we went from a 39-unit hotel to having 40 units. Oh, okay. So now we're actually able to add another about 40-some-odd 1000 dollars in revenue per th- year, $36,500 worth of revenue per year, yeah, Just by plugging that in. And then on top of that, adding kitchens in. So pe- when you add kitchens to units, guests stay longer. They book uh, more in the off season and it reduces your cleaning costs as well because you don't have to clean. Less, less frequently. turnovers. Yeah. Like, a, a normal hotel will have an average length of stay from about two to three nights. Mm-hmm. An extended stay, which is a room that has a kitchen, is three to five nights. Mm-hmm. So now your cleaning costs are coming way down as well.
0: Well, I was going to ask you because you kind of just threw that in there i mean the plumbing needs to be there to add in a kitchen like what do you what are you adding just a sink or
2: yeah so we always put it right up next to the
0: bathroom to so get you can that, just tap into the bathroom plumbing tap it in right yeah
2: now we try to get dishwashers in as many as possible and believe it or not that's not actually for the guests it's for the cleaning staff Oh, because okay. when you have the cleaners come in, they just they can just come in, take everything and... out, put it in a dishwasher, turn it on, and start the rest of the cleaning. So no over. matter
0: what, they're washing all the dishes. Oh, every time, even the for all in the cabinet, they all the good. time. Yeah, yeah. I wondered about that because you just never know what somebody might have done to
2: exactly it. Exactly right. And you know if it doesn't have a dishwasher as a guest, it probably wasn't cleaned. Yeah. Or at least for me, I would look for that. Yeah. So by having those dishwashers, it's super important. Yeah. And that's just for operations.
0: Did it feel like a leap, like going into this? Like your first one was 23 units. I mean, at that point, like what did life look like for you? Like how much, like were you, act, did you have a source of active income at that time? Were
2: you still doing the accounting when you, when you bought that one? I, you know, that's a great question. Cause I had just left the movie business in March, 2020 to pursue my career in real estate full time. Yeah. And then a week later, the pandemic happened. Yeah. So film shut down, everything shut down. Now I had some savings saved up and I did have some passive income from my existing portfolio. Which you've mostly liquidated now or? No, no, I still, still have that. It, okay. Most of my multifamily stuff. Yeah, um, okay. But I didn't really have an active income. So it was a fairly significant leap. And then on top of that, I moved out to Montreal in September, 2020 when I found this first deal. Because I Mm -hmm. really need to get to know the market, really need to make contacts out there, and really get to know what I'm getting myself into, right? So it was a pretty big leap.
0: Yeah, like that would be a little bit stressful. I mean, of course, you had other sources of cash flow, but you're kind of like betting on yourself. You're going into something that, you know, you're getting shut down. So you're going to have... And uncertainty of not knowing if when the market's ever going to fully open back up, what the world's yeah. going to look like on the other side of that. That yeah. must have been a little stressful, all that.
2: Yeah, it was It was definitely stressful going in, especially because we didn't know what our exit on financing would look like. We're going in with private money. It was the most we've ever paid on, on mm-hmm. private capital. It was already so hard to finance it. And then, you know, getting the teams and the operations mm-hmm. up and running, like we were still doing a lot of that on our own yeah. with the networks that we had in Montreal. but. You know, we're still relying on ourselves. Yeah. So yeah, it was definitely a big leap, and it was certainly a big risk to to go out there, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll say, and like you're you're not from there. Does Mark have any ties to no
2: to there? And how did you guys meet? Through our property manager in Barry. Okay. Yeah. So I decided I wanted to hire a realtor. The first two realtors I worked with were not great realtors. And uh, you hired Mark (laughs) and I hired Mark and he was a great realtor. (laughs) Uh, Okay. And then you guys ended up partnering on deals. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm working in film full time and I need someone doing operations and those are stuff, that was the initial arrangement. Yeah. And then now it's evolved to be much more, obviously.
0: Yeah. So how do you guys split up roles? Like you said, you're doing
2: asset management, you're doing fundraising. Yeah. The nice thing is Mark and I are both have a lot of the same skill sets. Yeah. But my strengths complement complement his weaknesses and vice versa, right? So the things that I'm really good at are things that he doesn't want to necessarily work on and vice versa. So I'm now more boots on the ground. I have far more mobility in my life. You know, he's married to his kids. He works from home a lot. Mm -hmm. So he'll manage a lot of like mortgages, financing, uh, managing the REIT, anything that can be done from home, he's more than happy to take on. Whereas I'll be in Quebec making partnerships and relationships with our vendors out there and with agents and finding good deals. So I'm more boots on the ground.
0: Yeah. and So who are some of the, the key players that you need to build relationships with right now?
2: So we've pretty much done that. My most important relationship, I would say, is Enero in Quebec City. So they're the operations teams that's taking on our portfolio. So they just run it. They run the whole thing. Yeah, they run it. Um, they ha- We met because I was working on purchasing a hotel in Quebec. It didn't come into fruition. And they said, hey, there's someone you should meet. They're setting up something that you're describing. And we were just a great match. Like his yeah. vision of a narrow is the same vision that I have for our hotels. Yeah. So partnering together on a, from an operation point of view made a lot of sense. And then Quebec city is an extremely small market. And so everybody knows each other. Yeah. Right. So the agent that I work with, I mean, he's, he's been around for ages. He knows everybody. Right. So having that strong relationship with the agent who knows by working with me, there's going to be great deals together. He's going to close. He gets paid. That's a really important relationship. Yeah. And same with a narrow, you can't just show up to a new market as a, especially one that's as small as Quebec city being a foreigner for lack of a better term because you know there yeah. is a th- dynamic yeah in anglo and franco sure. and just start buying up all the businesses like yeah there'll be so much resistance yeah so you need to work with the local people and improve their businesses as well improve their lives yeah by being in business with you yeah you have to share that with them
0: so do they uh are they handling the implementation of all the um the automation yeah so you, you don't really have to get into that. None of that. So they had the solution, you
2: said, I like that, go ahead. <laughs> well, I believe it or not, I found the solution first. They had the vision. Okay. And then I found the software.
0: So is this like the same software that like, golf simulators are using to open
2: their doors? I I don't think it'd be the same, but it's- Because a,
0: there's like a button in an email I get, that I just tap it and I've it'll heard unlock about the door. This. Yeah. I've
2: just heard about this, but it's the same, very same idea. Yeah. But it's not, I don't think it's the same product.
0: Okay, but- it you know, just just goes to show what's possible, and obviously where things are going. Like, you don't need button pushers. There's, we've talked about this. Like in high end hospitality, you're always going to want your bellhop, and you're going to want yeah. the, the, you know, the uh, what do they call it, the service, like the
2: bike glove service. Yeah, or like yeah, room service. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I was at the um, Royal York Fairmont the other day having coffee with a friend of mine, and I was thinking, like, how do they operate their business? They still have the front desks where you walk up. I would love to see that change where it's like when somebody walks through the door, the transactions already happen. They know how to get to their room. Yeah. You don't need to trade credit cards. And yeah, do, yeah. And none of that needs they to happen. They don't need to do
0: that, but it'd still be great to have somebody help them with their oh, luggage. Oh, for sure. But yeah. now
2: you can have a face-to-face greeting and interaction yeah. where the person yeah. greeting the guest is actually taking their bags, going to the room, yeah. just being hospitable, right? Yeah. Instead of being administrative,
0: Yeah, administrative, you can get rid of, for sure. Absolutely, right? Yeah, That's not gonna be as necessary.
2: There's a great hotel we're we're looking at buying in Quebec City uh, and it's like four star, proper hospitality. We wouldn't just strip out the staff. It doesn't make any sense. You have to have them there, but we would certainly automate the administration. So you can cut down on the on the salaries cost, or yeah. you can just improve the product by having better experiences yeah. and face to face interaction, which is just going to juice your revenue and make and it make your guests yeah. happier and get more more reviews. Yeah, right. So th- there's definitely a lot of ways that AI and automation can improve that whole experience yeah. from the bottom end, which in my opinion has the most value add. Mm-hmm. But right up to the top, you can still make things more efficient and improve that experience. Yeah.
0: I just find it fascinating. Like the leap. I, I always try and find like when somebody did something like this, like you had references, like meaning that you, you had experiences in your life that kind of led you to, to turn that into a smaller leap than it sounds Yeah, like doing multifamily and then switching to hotels. It's better than not having done multifamily first. It's, it's definitely related. Yeah. Very related but you hadn't done hospitality. None. Nor had I, <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> but I had some partners that had. You know? So you had not even done like an Airbnb on your
2: own. No, you know? no. The closest thing I had to hospitality. So when I was young, my grandmother, she would give me like for Christmas, she'd give me a little bit of money and yeah. she would say, teach me to save my money and learn how to invest yeah. it. And she taught me yeah. about a Danish entrepreneur who saved a bunch of money and became one of Denmark's largest hotel owners. Oh yeah. That I didn't ever think in a million years that was going to sink and yeah. stick with me because I never, I never thought I wanted to get into hotels. It just progressed yeah. naturally. But I do think, you know, learning that at a young age, it kind of became a bit of a a, yeah. a goal.
0: Yeah, and So to thankfully, be a hotel she,
2: owner. Yeah. And thankfully, my grandmother did get to see it. She looked to be 93. Okay. She did get to see the first acquisition. Nice. So that was a very nice moment for, for myself and, and her. See, I own a hotel. Yeah. See, he told me to do this when I was eight years old and (laughs) almost 30 years later. (laughs) That's awesome, man. But that's my only connection to hospitality. Yeah. The rest of it just came from being a real estate investor and being fed up with the actual market.
0: And were you fed up with dealing with it like like the landlord tenant stuff cuz you're you're an Ontario investor obviously you were dealing Not with that even, stuff and I
2: was fed up with the having to be overly optimistic on deals yeah to make them work to make them yeah, work yeah. and so it's like okay I'm just fed up with Toronto I'm fed up with the go- the golden horseshoe I started looking elsewhere and the intention was to just get more multifamily but then I finally made that shift and took okay well we can do other asset classes mm-hmm. like multifamily sure it's very good and very reliable except for this moment, but <laughs> mm. there, there are other things out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, aside from the landlord tenant board in Ontario and the, the price point of it, yeah. it still does work.
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if
0: you get at the right price, then you can, you kind of pay yourself for dealing with all that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the, uh, the bigger challenge. What would you want to um, cover that we haven't covered yet today?
2: You know what I we've done? We've I definitely want to chat about the Airbnb ban a little bit more because that is such a big, important part of this business. So the Honeytree Real Estate Trust is focused about buying, not desperate assets. Distressed? Distressed assets, thank you so much. And that's how we got into hotels. So So
0: that's your model, go in, take a distressed asset. Yeah. So that's written into all your your documents for your read that that's what you're going after.
2: Yeah, so distressed assets is just our number one thing we look for. So in other words, a value add opportunity. Exactly, the pandemic happened, hotels were down. That's a great time to buy a hotel, right? Now what's happening with Airbnb and how the Airbnb ban is happening, there are a lot of distressed operators out there, mm-hmm. but it's not that we're acquiring those assets. It's more so our competition is beginning to die off, right? A lot of the hotels that we buy, they're mom and pop operators, and they just don't want to shift into this future of hospitality. Yeah. They bought the hotel because it was their dream, it's a, a passion project. Yeah. It's, you know, they they like baking croissants and greeting guests. But they're not turning the screws on the hotels. They're not looking yeah. at it like a real estate investor does. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that we really do well and like to do. When I walk through that hotel room, how do I turn the screws on it? How do I make this a better experience for the guests? Create yeah. more revenue and then reduce the cost of operation. Yeah, that all comes into buying distressed assets and and having that Airbnb band. That is such an important part of all of that.
0: Well, that's going to ultimately fuel your business because I feel like every municipality, it, it, the 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 resulting effect of what they've done is there are less stays available for Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah, just pretty much across the board because some municipalities, most probably, you can do at least like the 180 nights in your own home. Yeah. But that's it.
2: Yeah, and I, this really will be the future of Airbnb investing because you can no longer buy a condominium, put it up on Airbnb and make great money. Like the whole ice condos thing in Toronto, like yeah. it's not going to work anymore. So you have to be buying a licensed hotel to get that Airbnb yeah.
0: income. More specifically, commercially zoned property that allows the hotel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
2: and frankly, it's like, why do you want to take a condo off the housing market? Because like mm-hmm. people are struggling so desperately right now with For the cost housing. of living, yeah. cost of everything. And so being a real estate investor, like there needs to be a certain level of ethics that are considered now. Most mm-hmm. people are just, you know, buying buildings, turning over tenants, jacking rents. There is a significant, significant economic cost to doing all that, and the and the pressure that it puts on people and the stress. It's just making Canada not necessarily a great place to live anymore. Well, that's
0: one of many things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's quite a few things in that, that list. Um, I, I look at it as a lot of people doing. Doing what they can to try and improve their situation, which ultimately some elements of that, yeah, do make the problem worse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely could see your point with that.
2: Yeah. So, the, yeah. I mean, that's one reason why I do like uh, the hotel business quite a bit. Is like- you, you, It's already there. You're not messing with yeah. housing. And if anything, yeah. you're creating a product that's better than the competition on Airbnb with amateurs. Yeah. And, and it, it makes sense to
0: systematize when you have so many units, it makes sense to spend on the photographers, to spend on the social media. Like that's the one thing like for our operation, like it makes sense to have a social media account, but for a single Airbnb, that doesn't. So no, we, no, the way no. we can expose it, the way we can drive traffic to it, you know, it's a huge opportunity.
2: Yeah. yeah. And you know, I love campgrounds as well. And that's something I would love to dabble into one day, but don't, don't worry, I'm not going to tread on your turf. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, there's, it's all about value add. And if you can find a piece of, of campground that is poorly operated and it hasn't changed in 50 years well that's a great opportunity for you to acquire that and make it significantly better this whole business is just adding value to other businesses yeah
0: well i love the way you can go in with the hotel model and there's just so many ways you can add value and and it's not that it's not that labor intensive either no a lot of it's just the marketing exactly in the paint
2: (laughs) (laughs) the marketing in the paint yeah that's about it right the staging
0: right it's a very quick value add are you buying like all new furniture or I guess the beds can all stay, but you guys no uh,
2: we swap it all out. You swap everything.
0: Yeah. It's a little, little, armchairs in the corner. You're buying new stuff there. Yeah, get rid and of that all still that. all fits into that million dollar budget or what do you say? Like, about, it was about 600.
2: No. So yeah. it'd be, but for 10 to $15,000, you can paint a room, get new furniture in there, get new linens and get new beds and yeah. all that. You can do the minors. As soon as you start adding the kitchens, I mean, plumbing and electrical alone can be 2,500 bucks each. Yeah just for the rough-ins yep, yep. and then your appliances are five grand then the cabins. so you're going to be an extra like 10 15 just for that just for the kitchen yeah and that is a, a very important value add but when i go into a hotel deal now before i would just rip it all apart and, and rebuild it perfectly i've since learned you can work with what you have yeah and just clean it up yeah and it's so, probably better to do that yeah it's way faster Well, it's more
0: efficient you're not going to waste money because in other ways you're going to be over improving it exactly yeah
2: right and it, we are in the time where you have to work with what you have yeah like you're just improving the cosmetics of it and the aesthetics yeah. of it but at the end of the day what is the product it's a bed to sleep on yeah and and i'm telling you when you buy a hotel like those beds are really heavy that's a bad yeah. sign <laughs> if,
0: if you were just starting out as a real estate investor right now mm-hmm. knowing what you know now what would
2: you do i would probably go to the states yeah i would be looking at single family homes and multifamily in the states mm-hmm. uh, i think atlanta would be the market i'd look at first I know Arizona was a fantastic one, but that's I think that's since peaked. Yeah, but you know I would probably just abandon Southern Ontario residential real estate altogether. Yeah, and just go somewhere. As else. so many are. Yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. And always make sure that you're sticking to your investment principles and using actual logic. I know so many people that speculated on condominiums; they were losing a thousand dollars a month. With their negative carry because they put a five percent down payment Mm -hmm. rates went up and values fell they're stuck yeah there was absolutely no logic into that investment right Mm -hmm. so that's that's the biggest thing always stick to your investment principles and use logic when you're buying
0: yeah for sure well said um okay so tell uh tell people where they find you
2: Yeah, so check us out at honeytreegrow.ca. We are on a couple EMDs, so atlas1.ca or Mm parvisinvest.com. And you'll be able to check out the Honey Tree Real Estate Trust there. Mm -hmm. And we have some great hotel deals in the pipeline.
0: Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really cool, man. It's a it's a really uh, interesting niche and you guys are, are growing it in a fascinating way, so.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's look, a pleasure to be here.
0: It's, it's nice. I, I see you very regularly. You're here, <laughs> you're here all the
2: time, so. I'm sure uh, we'll be doing more content together. Yeah, as well. yeah,
0: look, looking forward to it. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And now a word from our sponsor, Control & Compound. Here's how
2: infinite banking works in under 60 seconds. You have to save your money somewhere. Well, we think the best place to save it is inside a cash value life insurance policy. You save some money in there, gross, tax-free, for the rest of your life. Then an opportunity or emergency comes, comes along. Let's say a few years down the road, you can buy a business, buy a property, buy an income-producing asset. You leverage the infinite banking policy, borrow against your asset, take advantage of the opportunity, but your money still stays in the infinite banking policy. You're not borrowing your money. You're borrowing the insurance company's money. So your money's in the policy. It's in the opportunity and it's providing a death benefit. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You get to retirement you have this massive cash value, life insurance, leverage that tax-free and you don't repay those loans. You sit on the beach and you spend that money tax-free every month doesn't show up on a tax return, and you leave your family a huge tax-free death benefit.
0: For more information, visit www.controllingcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines.